5, verses 27 and 28. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their deeds, their evil deeds have no limit. They do not plead the case of the fatherless to win it. They do not defend the right of the poor. I'd like to start by <clears throat> reading you a story of um, a lady in India called Gary. Gary and her husband, Kumar, were expecting their second child. They needed money for her medical expenses. Kumar was working in a woodcutting business and brick kiln. He asked his boss to borrow 25,000 rupees. It's about 500 bucks, Australian. For Gary's medical expenses for the birth, the owner refused to accept any repayment other than manual labour. So the young people agreed to work at the business until they eliminated their debt. That's when their nightmare enforced labour slavery began. Their boss was cruel, verbally and physically abusing them. When Gary tried speaking up for her condition, she was tied in a cowshed for an entire day and was forced to watch her husband be beaten raw. Things came to a breaking point when her two-year-old daughter was beaten with a branch for playing with a water tap. Gary screamed at the owner, who retaliated by kicking her down and stomping on her stomach. Because of her injuries, Gary couldn't stand up for days. She was hopeless. No one stood up for me. She cried, and no one will. Hmm. How can a story like that be true? <laughs> Why does this happen? And what's my place? In it. Those are the questions we will wrestle with today as we consider this Freedom Sunday. To answer them, I want us to do a bit of a just a fly over the, the Christian message, and then I'll draw it down to us. God created a world in the beginning. It was a just world. It's a world in which he himself administered the justice. It was, it was perfect. We lived under his rule, his perfect reign, until sin entered our world, until such a time in that timeline where we said, no, thank you to your justice and your fairness, God. We will, we will be God ourselves. And from the minute that happened, very early on in the Bible, we read of this story of two brothers called Cain and Abel, where there's a, a violent murder because of strife, and, and we have this first instance of violence 
kicking into our world, this, this, this desire to oppress. It gets so bad early on in the biblical story that at the time of a man called Noah, God looks at the whole scene and he goes, this is so messed up, so violent, so much like what we've just read that I'm going to finish it. I'm ending it. Except that for some reason God, for some reason, because he's a gracious God, because he's a merciful God, decides, hang on, I'll do something else. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weigh forward in the future, in history, send my, my son, Jesus Christ, who's going to bring my just rule, my just fair reign back into this earth and I'm going to make a new heavens and I'm going to make a new earth and I'm going to make this right. This is what God decides way back then. And, and, and we are here today somewhere in that plan where, where Jesus has come, he was born, he lived, he died, he was raised again, he ascended onto heaven, but he still has to come back to establish that full fair reign. Right? That's still in the future. And now the question is there, what, what happened in between these two spaces when, when, when the Noah's time and, and the flood and, then, and Jesus is coming back again to make this full, complete restoration of our world where we don't get stories like that? What happens in the meantime? <laughs> well, I'll give you two things. God's desire is that those who would rule, kings, governments, those who are in charge of, of, of uh, ruling over others, it is their job to ensure that the vulnerable is safe, that they are not exploited, that they are defended. The Bible says that to us in Psalm 72, Endow the king with justice, O God. May he defend the cause of the poor, give deliverance to the needy, restrain the oppressor. Romans 13, There is no governing authority except from God, for the ruler bears the sword to punish those who do evil. Rulers are supposed to protect. But what happens if they don't? <laughs> what happens if they are the oppressors? What happens when they are the exploiters? What happens when those who are supposed to protect are the perpetrators? Those who sit in ultimate power become the most corrupt. What hope is there for the fatherless, for the oppressed, for the vulnerable? <laughs> who speaks up for them? All throughout biblical history, in this time that we consider now, you know, God's own people had rulers and kings who were exactly of the type that oppressed the people. And this is how God spoke up for the oppressed. He used prophets. The prophets. So much of your Bible, if you read it, uh, you know, those names that come up, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, Ezekiel, Amos, Obadiah, Stacks of them throughout most of our human history are filled with these guys who are called prophets. God raises them up and they have a voice and they have a loud voice. And here's what they do. I'm just going to give you with rapid fire some, some 
um, snippets of what they do. Isaiah talks about the rulers and he says, their hands are stained with blood. Jeremiah, uh, their clothes are soaked with the lifeblood of the innocent poor and they do not seek justice or defend the cause of the poor. Ezekiel, the rulers of Jerusalem who are like wolves, tearing their prey, they kill people to make unjust gain. Hosea, there's only lying, murder, stealing, adultery and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Amos, debt, slavery, trampling the needy and asking for bribes and depriving the poor of the courts is the thing of the ruling classes. Slaughter, violence, slavery gets pointed out by Obadiah. Micah says their rich people are violent and their judges ask for a bribe and pervert justice. Nahum, the city of bloodshed and endless cruelty is his, his prediction on Jerusalem, I think. Fill their homes. The rich and the oppressors fill their homes with evil, gain, of violence and fraud. Zechariah, administer justice, you rulers. Do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the foreigner or the poor. You know, (laughs) we could go on forever about these prophets sounding out uh, their warnings to rulers, fighting the cause of the oppressed, the vulnerable, the powerless. And in the New Testament, that carries on. John the Baptist comes and he is in the same vein, calling out the king, calling out Herod, calling out the religious rulers who are forsaking their duty uh, to take care of the poor and the vulnerable. And eventually, ultimately, Jesus comes and he himself, in his crucifixion, become a victim. Violent rulers are complicit in his crucifixion. Friends, here's the point. God has spoken throughout the entirety of the scriptures, awakening his people to the injustices of the world. From Genesis to Revelation, God calls his his children, the church, to rise up against injustice. To call it out. To fight for the fatherless. To stand up for the cause of the widow, the marginalized, the vulnerable. We cannot escape that. You are, as a Christian, in some sense, a, a, a direct descendant of this lineage of prophets who has done this work. Christ is, is the ultimate prophet, and you are a Christian, a little Christ, in some sense, a little prophet whose little voice or whose combined voice together matter and should stand up for the cause of the fatherless, the widow, the oppressed. We bear that in our DNA, if you will. Our ancestors, ancestors, all those men and women who went before us and boldly proclaimed that God's justice would be for all people, they are the ancestry of this church. Good news today is that we're not alone in this work. Jesus, who was crucified, was raised to life and he's seated at the right hand in all power, all majesty. And his spirit is empowering his church. We speak up against injustice, against oppression, with a spirit-empowered testimony. We're, we're endowed, we are called and empowered to speak against injustice. So, I think I 
well, I hope, I've tried to convince us that biblically speaking, in the overall story of what God is busy doing, we have a role to play. Our church has a role to play. We're empowered by His Spirit, we are called by Him, and we have to take that up. Here's the question. Will we stand for the 40 million people who need an advocate? Will you use your power on behalf of the vulnerable? Here's what it can look like if you do. You know, when Gary, whose story I shared with you before, it's real, by the way, it's not anecdotal, while she was still recovering, and nearly 10 years after she and her family were first enslaved, this organisation, International Justice Mission, made contact with the families in Gary's facility while investigating allegations of slavery there. And then quickly mobilised after learning about her condition. We, IJM, helped, government, helped the government at first. Muthu and Sundram eventually shared the reality of their situation and those are relatives of Gary. And eventually, uh, once the blatant violation of their fundamental rights were reported to the district administration, their oppressors were quickly apprehended and charges brought against them. That day, 20 labourers were freed from slavery and brought to freedom. They had been in bondage for four years. Wonderful things happen when the church mobilises. Slavery does not have to be such a big problem in our world. It can end. It can change. There is hope. And so here's where I'd like to finish. You know, today is not... I don't hope that today would be one of those messages that, you know... <coughs> sorry, I'm saving that cough. You know, it sends us out of here with that great pile of guilt and saying, oh, I'm so bad, I do nothing. That's not the idea. I, what I hope dawns on us is the privilege of our responsibility, the privilege of our responsibility, that we are among the lineage of that prophetic voice who calls and who restores God's justice and his reign to this earth. I know that many of you are involved in work of social justice and establishing it. Today we're using the lens of this organisation, International Justice Ministry, as, a, as an expression of that. Um, I am plugging them. I am saying consider joining and partnering with them. Um, they have all ways in which you can do that on their website. Um, if you are partnering with different organisations that seek to bring justice for the vulnerable, please keep that up. I just want to remind you today of the value of what you are doing. Sometimes those things become just a flyer that's stuck on the fridge and we don't even know why it's there anymore. Um, this is why it's there, because it's achieving something. If you're not involved at all, perhaps, in any sort of um, social justice-seeking organisation, I, I do uh, call you today to consider that you would, even if in a minor way. Do take up your place as a Christian and your position in doing this work of bringing justice into our world. Together, in 2019, IJM says they hope to rescue 2,200 children, women and men from slavery. 
Restore 554 survivors to health and wholeness. Restrain 47 slave drivers and traffickers through effective prosecution. Repair broken justice systems by training police, lawyers and judges. So far in India alone, where Gary and Muthu lives, year to date, 1,015 people, the survivors have been rescued, 10 survivors restored, 10 perpetrators restrained, and the targets are there too. This is the sort of stuff that happens. <laughs> you can't put a price on the lives and the freedom gained for that 1,000 people. Become a freedom partner if you aren't one. Consider joining IJM as a freedom partner. Consider your support of an existing organisation. Consider others. And just more broadly, even in our own communities. Let's understand that we ought to fight for the vulnerable, even in Devonport. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that for those in this building who are people of faith, whom, whom you have shown that they are children of God, we thank you for our freedom. Thank you that we do not live in slavery, um, that we are not oppressed or exploited, at least for the most part. Lord, I do pray that in each of our hearts there will live a desire, not driven by guilt, but driven by love, Lord, to fall in line with our prophetic ancestry uh, and who will do likewise, to seek your heart, seek your will for the millions caught in slavery and oppression. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Music.